What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. I am Brett Hudson, joined, as always, on the football editions of the Bama Beat Podcast by Clint Lamb. Clint, what's going on? Not much, brother. Been a minute. How you doing? I am good. Yeah, you were you were busy down in Mobile with uh, with Senior Bowl stuff, if I if I remember correctly. But the baseball and basketball podcast held it down last week, and we are back for more this week. And you know, I really thought we would be doing a coaching turnover podcast by now because I thought it would be done by now. But um, cornerbacks coach Carl Scott is on his way to the NFL, specifically the Minnesota Vikings, as first reported by AL.com. So we're waiting on Alabama. To make that official replacement, and once it does, then we'll we'll kind of dive into what at that point will be five new assistant coaches of on Alabama's football staff, otherwise known as half of the staff, since you can have ten uh, on field assistants in the new era. It's been that way for probably three or four years now. Uh, we'll get to all of that in a later podcast, but this is this idea is is your brainchild, Clint. So I'll I'll let you kind of lay out the the experiment and the project we're we're undertaking today. And I, I think you correctly identified it as one that a lot of people have been at least thinking about, if not kind of running through just on the surface in their own heads. Yeah, well uh, with Alabama signing a historically good uh twenty twenty one class a lot of people were comparing it to that 2017 class. So I thought, you know what, let's go ahead and kind of dive right into it. Go position by position. Talk a little bit about that 2017 group, the 2021 group, any comparisons. If you have, you know, one or the other that you think is clearly better, we, you know, we're going to try not to let any sort of biases, you know, get in the way as far as what that player did once he got to Alabama uh, with one class, we kind of know how it turns out with the other uh, it's yet to be determined. So it could, you know, some guys could be, you know, overrated and it ends up not being as good. Some guys can be underrated or, you know, live up to uh, to the standard that was set and and it, it end up being a historically good class that does a lot of great things in Tuscaloosa. But so that's what we're going to do today. Just compare the two classes, have some fun with it, uh, take it position by position and just see where Alabama kind of is at now compared to where they were at, you know, what, four recruiting cycles ago. Well, on the whole, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of position by position, I will say this. The the kind of legacy of Alabama's 2017 recruiting uh, class, which is two national championships, another national championship game appearance. Um, I, I'm, I'm scrolling through this, this class right now, the Heisman Trophy winner. And Devontae Smith, and not including the upcoming draft, I'm seeing – Jerry Judy, Tua, Jedrick Wills, Henry Ruggs III as first-round guys. I think that's it, just those four? Yes. And and that could very well end up being more with with Mac Jones in this class, with Najee Harris in this class, Alex Leatherwood in the class, uh, Devontae Smith, obviously. Yep. Um, So you're – that's the legacy of the 2017 class that you're living up to. And and typically I'm kind of careful with like team performance stuff in in these recruiting classes, because a lot of times classes have very little impact in their first seasons, which for, for this class was a national championship season, but that's not necessarily true with this one. Obviously a freshman book ended the season and and two at a Smitty for second and 26, but even outside of that one play on the whole, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III were second and third on in receiving on that year's team. Now, that was the Calvin Ridley year. I mean, neither of them, they combined for fewer than 500 yards and Ridley had 967 that year. So it's not like they were uh, huge parts of the offense, but they were still second and third on the team in receiving that season uh rugs was also a, a pretty good kick returner that year remember this is the year before Jalen waddle shows up on, on campus defensively there was a little bit from from freshmen on on that year's team quinnon williams and dylan moses both in their freshman years combined for 12 tackles for a loss in the same year that rashawn evans led the team with 13 so that's not nothing um 
I'm seeing Dylan Moses also had an interception that year. So I'm, I'm typically kind of hesitant to place early team success on the shoulders or at least like a, a fair amount of credit on the shoulders of the incoming uh recruiting class but in in this case you kind of have to give the freshman credit not only because two of them uh, ultimately won Alabama the national championship on the final play of of that game but also because they were they were significant contributors over the course of the season and that's just the statistical stuff that doesn't kind of bring into consideration the the line play or the special teams or, or anything like that so that's that's something that this 2021 class will have to account for if they're going to match what the 17 class did, which is they're going to have to contribute to early national championships and they're, they're going to have to contribute in a, in a pretty high level because that 17 class did. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about by the end of it, uh, Najee Harris was having a huge impact in the national championship. Alex Leatherwood had to step up for Jonah Williams at left tackle. You know, you had the trio of receivers who were, you know, like you said, weren't necessarily the leading receivers or, or weren't producing to the caliber they were by the end of their Alabama career. But, you know, that was mostly because of a limited quarterback that was looking really only at one guy. But as far as pecking order and, and guys who were making some big plays and some big moments, um, Devontae Smith had several big moments throughout that season, not just that national championship catch. Henry Ruggs had some great plays. Jerry Judy had some great plays. Um, you know, you had, of course, Tua Tungvaloa, like you were talking about, but, you know, you had other guys, Isaiah Bugs was a Juco guy in that class, uh, who, who, you know, became a, a starter and was an impactful player. Um, and, and then of course, you know, it's not just about that year. It's about how they continue to develop and, you know, th- right here out the gate. Uh, and I guess we can go ahead and start to dive into it. Cause I think you did a pretty good job of kind of summarizing what that class achieved, you know, especially in that first season, but it, it's going to be very tough. Uh, I don't care how good Jalen Milrow is. I think he can be very good, but it is very tough to outdo a class that produced potentially two first-round quarterbacks, which hadn't been done in a very, very long time. So, you know, that's something that and, – and and even if you were just taking it from the standpoint of a recruiting aspect, you know, Tua Tungvaloa was rated a lot higher. Mac Jones, of course, a lot lower. But, you know, the fact that you landed two quarterbacks to, to really, you know, bolster your depth there – at that spot was was important for Alabama. So from a star standpoint and, and rankings plus, you know, depth, uh, I would probably, you know, it's very easy to say that quarterback's fairly easy um, in, in determining which was better or which can be better. And that's, you know, if Jalen Milrow ends up being a first-round quarterback, you know, you still have to say probably that that, you know, is he going to be a top-five pick? Because Tua was. And then you also had another guy in there who you weren't sure what he was going to be able to develop into. He ended up developing into a uh, you know day one or day two pick. I think he's going to be day one, but I don't want to just automatically assume. You never know. Uh, so yeah, quarterback for me is pretty easy. What about you? Quarterback is like obvious. Like this is probably the best quarterback recruiting class of the modern era, and may stay that way for a really really long time. Just because most schools don't sign more than one quarterback in a class. That's it, is just kind of how recruiting goes nowadays so it's it's rare to get two good quarterbacks in one class period but in this quarterback class you had a first rounder in in Tua and you very well could have another first rounder in in Mac so it's it's one thing to get two it's it's one thing to get two quarterbacks in a class period it's another thing for both of those quarterbacks to end up being good and it's an entirely different thing on top of all of that for both of those quarterbacks to be first round draft picks and Heisman Trophy finalists. That is like almost impossible in, in the modern era. So not only is it almost imp- like Jalen Milrow would have to win like two Heisman trophies and, right. and go number one overall <laughs> to possibly outdo what what the 2017 class did well, at, the, at the quarterback position. So. Well, you also what's interesting about the that 2017 class is you saw both sides of it, right? You saw the super talented kid come in like a Tua Tungvaloa immediately assumed the starting, or he didn't immediately assume the starting job, but immediately started to make an impact. And then by the end of the year, 
you know, had one of the biggest plays in Alabama football history. But then on the other side, you got Mac Jones, who was the the lower rated guy who went through the process, who developed each and every year, got better and became what we see today. And so I think that that's pretty important because it shows both sides, the, the recruiting prowess of the Alabama coaching staff and the development side of it, too. So that's also why I think it's a pretty clear cut answer here. And Jalen Milrow would have to do a lot. But what are your thoughts on uh, the, the running back comparison? you look at the classes and you would lean 2017. I mean, they both have five-star running backs. Um, Alabama's 2021 class has Kamar Wheaton. He is the number two running back in the nation, number 33 prospect overall. The 2017 class had Najee Harris, number one running back, number two prospect in the entire class behind only, do you know the answer? Who's the top prospect in the 2017 class? Uh, no, I don't. Jalen Phillips. Oh, that's right. Yeah. UCLA at the time. Yeah, he signed with UCLA. He's now uh, at Miami and playing pretty well. I don't know if he's playing like number one overall prospect well, but playing playing well enough. Um, you would So you would look at 2017 and you would say they have the five-star running back that the 2021 class has. Uh, then you add in four-star Brian Robinson Jr. and four-star Chadarius Townsend, who I mean, kind of running back, kind of wide receiver. He's listed as an athlete in the in the recruiting class. So you would look at just the sheer numbers in the production and, and say that 2017 got the best of 2021. But I think this was less about a pro- prolific signings at the position and more about need. Like, I mean, I know I argued. I don't know if you got all the way in on it with me, but I argued that Bama didn't really need a running back in this class. So the fact that they add a five-star at the position, the number two running back in, in the entire class uh, behind only Travion Henderson, who is an Ohio state signing. I I think that just kind of goes to show you the, the the classes were trying to accomplish different things uh, just based on the timing, like Alabama, Getting a five-star running back at the in this 2021 class is the most that they could possibly do at the position, whereas 2017 was in a little different situation. So, uh, 2000 people are going to if we did this if we had this conversation ten years later, people would look at the 2017 class and say, "Oh yeah, running back, obvious." But the needs in terms of like success of the hall of the position, I guess, I guess it's relatively equal because again, Bama didn't really need a running back and they go and get the number two guy at the position in the class. So they, they kind of filled their needs equally well as they did back in 2017. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with that assessment. Uh, for me, it's, you know, Najee Harris was the highest rated player of Alabama's 2017 class, the number two overall player, number one running back, and and so when you combine that with another top 10, you know, running back at the posi- or a player at the position in Brian Robinson, Jr., it, it, what's wild is that we've kind of seen how his career has started to shake out. He's going to be, you know, I don't know if it's has it been officially announced that he's coming back for another season. Brian Robinson has not made any official announcement yet, but uh, I think uh uh, the fact that we're this deep into draft process stuff and, and you haven't really heard a lot about Brian Robinson in that regard probably answers that question for you, but it has not been made official, no. Yeah, okay. And that's a, yeah. At least um, not by, by Brian, anyway. Now, he'll probably yes. just like be on the roster when spring practice starts, and that's as official as it's going to get, I'm guessing. That That's actually, and I actually wouldn't be surprised if that's how he decides to approach it. He says, okay. I'm coming back to college for sure. I'm going to go through spring with with uh, my teammates here at Alabama. If I'm liking how things you know are, are playing out, then I'll stick around. If I don't, maybe you know he's a guy that post spring enters the transfer portal. But I I know that Alabama probably wants him back. Uh, you know, and, and he might have the opportunity to to get a pretty significant workload next year. So, um, but just comparing the two. It's it's like I said, you know, it's very tough to to not to get out of your head that Najee Harris finished as a top five uh, player for the Heisman this year, and really in, in a lot of other years would have won it, but you just had you know statistically with where offenses are going, it, it's very 
very difficult, um, especially when it's becoming a quarterback's award uh, for the most part. But I would definitely say that Kamar Wheaton has that X factor that could potentially make him a very good running back. But we everybody just assumed that Najee was going to be an absolute stud. A lot of people were saying the second coming of Derrick Henry with you know better receiving ability, and for the most part, um, you know maybe not quite the same caliber of runner. Um, but I mean the other aspects that he brought to the table make him one of the best running backs in school history. So I would probably give a slight nod to the 2017 class just because you have that depth there too. But that's a great point about necessity. And, and the fact that really, you know, Kamar Wheaton in this 2021 class was just icing on the cake is something that I don't think anybody expected. So that's pretty big. Um, moving on to receiver, which is probably the most going to be the most debated and my, or it might not be. Uh, it, this one's the probably going to be the toughest of all of them to be able to separate what guys, you know, uh, how guys review coming out, which, you know, three different guys were considered five-star prospects, and uh, maybe not according to the composite rankings, but 247 Sports had Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, and Jerry Judy as five-stars. Uh, Tyrell Shavers was that fourth receiver who was a top 100 prospect, number 12 receiver in the country. Very similar as far as the the haul that Alabama got this year with with the talent, you know, Ja'Cory Brooks, JoJo Earl, uh, Agai Hall, and then Christian Leary, all those guys, I mean, I want to say the lowest rated is what, number 11, number 9, something, number 10. Yeah. Larry, number 10 in the composite. Yeah, so, I mean, four of the top 10 receivers in that class back then, uh, four of the top 12. Uh, so b- both very Im- impressive classes, and, and all of them were top 100 prospects. So this one's kind of tough because you know that Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs both ended up being first-round picks. We expect Devontae Smith to do the same. And he won a Heisman Trophy. That is very hard to get out of your mind. But how do you view these two groups? I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's more or less of a push. But it, it seems almost impossible for the 21 wide receivers to live up to what 17 did. From, from just a simply recruiting standpoint, in 17, Bama got four wide receivers, all of them among the top 88 prospects in the class, according to the 247 Sports Composite. In 2021, four wide receivers, all of them in the top 74 prospects in the class in the composite. So you're you're kind of splitting hairs there to a to a certain extent. Um, a lot of that is probably just based on the the caliber of players in the class and and where guys rank positionally. And I mean, there's been four years in between, so there's possibly some change in ideology and and ranking strategy that that could make the difference between those 14 spots. So from a recruiting standpoint, I think you're at more or less of a push. But when you look at the production of the 17 class, you had two first rounders who left early. You're going to have a third first rounder and a Heisman Trophy winner at the wide receiver position, which had not been done in decades. So that is going to be almost impossible to to match. From a recruiting standpoint, pretty comparable. Uh, splitting hairs, whatever turn of phrase you want to use for that. But I, I would imagine it's going to be almost impossible for the 21 wide receivers to live up to the production because, again, one of the 17 wide receivers did something that had not been done in decades. Yeah, and that's, you know... I think what makes the 2017 class so interesting is the fact that you brought in that amount of talent and they were all able to coexist. Uh, they, they were very selfless. All of them, they didn't they liked each other. Yeah. Uh, they were, they were, it was the, it was the opposite of a typical diva wide receiver mentality. And not only did you get that from one superstar, like a Julio, uh, but you had superstars across the board who none of them were selfish. And and just the fact that you had that is super rare. And I really hope that that carries over, you know, losing all those guys and not getting this talented group in there to kind of learn that selfless mentality. I don't know the personalities of any of these guys well enough to be able to make a judgment call on whether, whether they'll bring that same element. I really hope they do. And I know that's kind of become the expectation, um, 
you know, from, from fans and from coaches and stuff like that. So I'm sure that that's kind of what they'll be taught. And when, what I think it proved was that you don't have to have that diva mentality. You don't have to get the ball every single week. You know, you're playing at Alabama. You're going to get recognized if you're having big games and big performances. And we've got tons of talent elsewhere. And there are games where kind of you, you play second fiddle based off of the defense has given us then, you know, that's totally cool. That's not going to hurt your draft stock in any sort of way. You can still be, you know, all, all these, you know, first-round receivers and Heisman Trophy winners and all that stuff, they can exist within the same offense. And so I think that that, you know, is great for, for those young guys coming in. But I agree. Um, it, it's it's strange because you had the 6'6", 200-plus-pound Tyrell Shavers coming in. Everybody thought that he would be that kind of big-body complement didn't end up really being that. I think the way that Alabama ran their offense, especially with Tua Tungvalu with his pinpoint accuracy and the RPO offense and stuff, it was more those smaller guys who, you know, do a great job with their route running. That's how they create their separation, and you just allow them to create some yardage of separation through their route running, and then have Tua Tungvaluwa or you know this season Mac Jones put put it where it needs to be to allow them to make plays after the catch. And with Ja'Cory Brooks, who is the, the, the top-rated receiver in this class, he's that big-bodied X guy that can out-physical guys, go up and win 50-50 balls. I think he'll do very well in Bill O'Brien's offense. I've continued to reiterate that for some time. But it's just it was it's different. And then Hall, of course, is another 6'3 guy, you know, kind of long and lean. But he's got that burner speed that can push vertically. Uh, but then you got the complementary guys with, with Earl and Leary, who are the kind of Jalen Waddle undersized electric type of receiver so i think there's a good combination um it was interesting because outside of shavers those other three guys coming out of high school were all viewed very similarly um weren't going to kill you with size but were just absolutely lethal at, at, at just having an ability to get open and having tons of speed and everything else that you look for and they all they all three became dominant so i think that's uh important distinction to make between the two classes and we'll just have to see what happens and and this might be something that needs to be revisited you know three or four years from now because we'll have a much better gauge of of how both classes did and finished and i think this would be a very interesting debate uh once we have that information but for now you know you you can acknowledge that it's really this is where it starts as far as everybody comparing those two classes is they remember what alabama somehow was able to bring in at the receiver position and the fact that they kept, you know, the, their top three guys from the class, the fact that all three of them thrived, it's like, wow, Alabama's doing it once again with this 2021 class. Can they be that, you know, have a, a repeat performance of that 2017 group? And we'll, we'll kind of have to see, but tight end uh, very quickly, Robbie outs. Is that how you say his last name outs? Uh, you know where I'm at, man. I'll I'll find out when the university gives a pronunciation guide. That's we actually, yeah, we might have actually had this conversation already, and I think that's that's the way to go. But you had you have him. I think that he's a an underrated three star. I think there's a reason Alabama wanted him. Big body guy, good solid blocker. Well, um, well, they wanted him because apparently they can't live without 15 tight ends on their roster at all points of time. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they also got a. Caden Clark's going to be in this group too. Yeah, he's great shirted. So yeah, so I guess we should go ahead and include him, which is interesting because I actually include Jerez Parks on the defensive side. We'll, we'll kind of see. Um, but yeah, I guess because Caden Clark has not played a snap technically, even though he was considered in that last group. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll we'll go ahead and throw him into this one. But you had Major Tennyson and Kedrick James back in um in 2017, which is. You know, I thought it was a pretty good solid uh, duo there. Both of them, according to the 247 Sports Composite Rankings, were top 10, or excuse me, top 12 tight ends in the country. Major Tennyson was a top, you know, 300 prospect. Kedrick James was 319. Uh, I, I remember Alabama needing depth back then at the tight end position, and so I thought them pulling in two guys was, you know, fairly impressive. And I really like Kedrick James and what, you know, p- the potential that he had. Um, of course, he ended up transferring a major tennis and has kind of become an afterthought. Maybe he'll get a, a bigger role this season. But it, I mean, what do you think about the tight end group? I'd probably still say the 2017 if I had to choose one, but it's kind of hard to say. I think it's a shame that all of them have, have signed up to be on the same roster as the greatest tight end to ever play football, Jalil Billingsley. That's what I think. <laughs> hey, Keidra James got out, man. He saw Jalil 
He said, nope, I'm not about that action. I'm getting he, he out of here. He saw the high school film of, of Jalil and was like, nah, man, this ain't this ain't the place for me no more. I got to. I got to head off to SMU, see if I can make something for myself there. That's exactly <laughs> what happened there. Um, offensive line, it, you mentioned where wide receiver is is a place where this debate between the two classes really starts. Offensive line is another pretty crucial one. The, the hall in the 2021 class is significantly deeper with, with J.C. Latham and Tommy Brockermeyer being the top two tackles in the class, both with Alabama, Terrence Ferguson being the top guard, and James Brockermeyer being the top center. Jaden Roberts also in the class as a four-star. So the the class is much deeper with the 2021 with, in 2021 in terms of just depth of elite talent. But what you got in the 17 class was Alex Leatherwood and, and Jedrick Wills. Uh, Jedrick Wills already a first rounder. Alex Leatherwood, I think he's going to be on on the wrong side of, of that, but it's it's possible that that Leatherwood plays himself into the first round. And, and where things really differentiate for the 17 class is Elliot Baker, uh, a JUCO guy in that class, uh, didn't really do much for for Bama. Hunter Brandon out of Coleman, um, he he didn't really do much for for Bama in, in this recruiting class. So the the depth of elite talent and then there's Kendall Randolph in the 17 class who the book is is still out on to a to a certain degree the depth of class in this 21 uh the depth of talent in this 21 class is definitely far superior to the 17 class but the 17 class gave you two solid starters at primetime tackle positions one of whom became a first round draft pick the other one could very well become that um, in a few months. So I, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but it's possible. The 21 class has to kind of make good on it to to actually fulfill um, its, its part in making the 21 class greater than the 17 class. But if we're just taking this from the recruiting standpoint, I don't know that there's much of a, a conversation to be had here. Yeah, I was much – I wouldn't say much higher uh, because, I mean, I know that uh, I think Rivals had Jedrick Wills as a five-star prospect, and, and the composite rankings had him as a four-star, but he was the number seven overall tackle in the country, number 34 overall, and and so that put him right outside of being a five-star prospect. I think they do 32 typically uh, five-star players, and so he was yeah. just a couple of spots – outside of being a five-star, but I just, I, he was one of my, I mean, of course the, the big name guys, you know, the Najee Harris is the Tua Tungvaloas, the receivers. It was a very impressive offensive hall of talent, but just the way that Jedrick Wills played uh, just an absolute nasty streak thought that he would be an excellent tackle in college football and in eventually in the NFL. But I thought back when, when he was going through the recruiting process, I'm like, if you kick him inside the guard, he might be the best guard to ever play the, the game or, or one of the best guards to ever play the game. I'm not going to put him in, uh, you know, John Hanna caliber and things like that. But I mean, just, I, I thought that the, the, the sky was the limit for him. And so watching him live up to that potential, becoming a, a, uh, you know, top 10 pick to the Cleveland Browns and then watching what he did, which is quite incredible. He spent the majority of his career uh, over at right tackle and in, in the NFL as a rookie trying to make the adjustment to the highest level, got flipped over to the left side, the blind side, uh, which is a very difficult transition. Your dominant you know, foot, your dominant hand, as far as, you know, your kick slides, all those things are polar opposite. It, it, I mean, it would be foreign to any of us. It's like when you cross your arms and you put your other arm uh, on top that you normally don't, how uncomfortable you feel. Well, that's how an offensive tackle that spent his entire career on one side feels when he goes to the other side. And not only did Jedrick Wills end up you know, making that transition, he was excellent this year, uh, which was one of the most remarkable things. I don't think enough people are talking about how not only good he was, people, plenty of people have acknowledged how good he was, but it's just the, the fact that he was able to make that transition so smoothly is, is incredible to me. But, yeah, with having him and having Alex Leatherwood – it, that's kind of where, you know, and, and Kendall Randolph, at least you got a, a solid third contributor. And that's even if, if Kendall Randolph would have been done with his career. You're talking about a guy that helped along the offensive line. He was a big blocking tight end, had a, a pretty important role there. So maybe not from a star standpoint, from but from just getting contributions, you had that third offensive lineman. And then, of course, uh, Hunter Brandon and, and uh, 
Elliot Baker, and Elliot Baker was one. You know, I remember you had the five star uh, in Alex Leatherwood. You had the the highly rated four star in Jedrick Wills, who was a five star according to one uh, recruiting service. And then I think Rivals also had Elliot Baker as a five star, or, or one of the recruiting services did at least at one time and he was the number one juco tackle so i remember thinking man what what an impressive haul and the chances of all of these guys and this holds true for the 2021 class as well to think that they're all going to hit and be just live up to you know their potential i'm not saying it's impossible but it's just it you know you're going to have misses in there and you got very, four very talented guys in the 2021 group so i wouldn't be surprised if if one or two ends up becoming a stud if you get that third contributor and then if the other one ends up being a dud or you get three you know starters who end up being future high nfl picks and one you know mediocre like it could play out a, a ton of different ways but the offensive line for me is another great comparison between these two classes and I, I definitely would agree from a star power standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, having the one and two tackle in the country committed to you having, you know, the number one center, the number two guard. I mean, that's just that's something that I don't think I've ever seen before. And I've seen Georgia have some incredible halls of, of offensive line classes, but I just don't think that I've ever seen this much star power in one group. And so, I mean, this is one that as much as I love that 2017 group and thought they had some great players, uh, you know, at least a couple of great players in that offensive line group, it, this is a pretty clear cut that it's going to be the offensive line. Uh, you know, what I'm really interested in is how some of these guys on the offensive line specifically kind of reshape their bodies to to the college game. And they could make that, you know, the dietary thing could be, challenging for for some of them but i think they could make it a lot easier with the help of wickles pickles it is a family recipe for pickles relishes okras sandwich spreads cornichons wide variety of pickle related products family recipe for all of them it is 90 years in the making right here in the state of alabama so if you want to keep your money local wickles pickles is the way to go go to wickles to learn more about all of their products, you can see some of their products in the pickle aisle of your local store, but you're kind of subject to uh, local restrictions or, or shipping needs in, in certain markets. So whether well, you can get the entire array of Wickles Pickles products on their website is, is my point. Wickelspickles.com. Let's get wicked. As we transition over to the defensive side of the ball with these two classes the the defensive lines are intriguing because i i don't want to say the classes are thin but neither of these classes really needed huge defensive line hauls like we we saw in the last couple of classes from from alabama in 17 you got lebrian ray in that class and you got Isaiah Bugs, who ended up being a, a pretty good junior college tradition for, for Bama. So that's a big feather in the cap of the 17 class. Whereas in 2021, you're getting Monkel Goodwine, four star out of Maryland. You're getting Damon Payne, the five star out of Michigan, and you're getting Tim Keenan and Anquin Barnes, two three star defensive tackles from the state of Alabama. Keenan out of Birmingham and Quinn Barnes out of Montgomery. So in terms of top level talent, this isn't the kind of class where Bama had to go and get four top 150 defensive linemen or or anything just based on the, the roster needs at at the given time. But they, they both came in with the just yearly attrition that you get on the defensive line. You got to, fill those spots with two or three signees at least every year. And in both cases, Alabama got some, some pretty highly rated talent at at those uh, positions. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And what I chose to do, because I I thought about it, I'm like, do I want to make this, there a distinction between the the defensive line and the edge players or the outside linebackers. And I just decided to combine them and make it all a defensive front. uh, Because really. Then in that case, that, uh, that has to tip the calculus towards 2021, right? Because in, in that case, and in, in 17, you add Jerez Parks. But in 21, you add Dallas Turner, uh, a huge five-star prospect, number eight in this class. And you also add Keanu Coat, a four-star out of Florida, top 60 prospect in the class. 
Right. And, and and that's very important. Now, so kind of going through it, LeBron Ray is a super big disappointment, not from from his standpoint, but just the fact that he hadn't been able to stay healthy. It's it's it, you, you have to hate that for him because you wonder just what he can be if he could stay healthy. Um, and so, you know, the fact that he was a five star prospect, he ended up getting, you know, some some fairly early action in his career and he's continued to to kind of work his way into a starting role. And then he hadn't been able to stay healthy. He's the big question mark, you know, uh, but you have to be able to acknowledge, you know, not being able to stay healthy or stay on the field is going to keep you from making the kind of impact that you need to make. So you have to at least acknowledge that. But Isaiah Bugs and Fedarian Mathis, you got two guys who were, you know, Isaiah Bugs. I remember when he fell to the sixth round, I had him, you know, more as like a early day three pick, like a fourth round guy. Um, and, and so seeing him fall the way to the sixth round, he's, he stuck around on that Pittsburgh Steelers roster. He's made some contributions, big fan of his, but Fedarian Mathis being a rota- rotational guy, one of the biggest surprises in my opinion, along that defensive front in 2020. Um, so that's fantastic. You still do have LeBron Ray, Vendarius Cowan, pretty talented kid coming out of high school, uh, you know, played some off ball linebacker, played some edge. And ended up transferring, but Drez Parks, and then you got Christopher Allen as well, who uh, you know has ended up being a very good player for Alabama. So I think that that group back in 2017, when you add in the edge players, uh, Christopher Allen really the, being the main one, when you combine that with the, the contributions from Isaiah Bugs, Fedarian Mathis, and then of course when LeBron Ray's been healthy, very you know solid haul. But then you look at 2021. And I mean, you got a couple of guys who I know the, the coaching staff is very high on kind of lower rated uh, defensive linemen and Tim, Tim Keenan and Anquin Barnes. We'll kind of have to see what they develop into. But I know the coaching staff loves their potential as far as what they can become. But then you start. I mean, Demond Payne is an absolute monster. Monkel Goodwin is a guy who's going to probably end up being in the 285, 290 range and being a great interior defensive lineman before it's all said and done dallas turner being you know bringing the star power out there on the edge keanu coat was a guy who climbed the recruiting rankings late you know undersized you know needs to probably add about 20 to 25 pounds to his frame fairly early in his career kind of like a lot of these guys who have been um you know in alabama's recruiting classes the last couple of years but very explosive off the edge tons of bend uh I think that he's going to end up being a great rotational guy at the very least. So, uh, yeah, I would say that as much as I enjoy or have enjoyed the the defensive line group from 2017, the star power, you know, the Quentin Williams type of player, or the or the Jonathan Allen, or uh, you know, the Demond or Deron Payne, excuse me, there hadn't been like that just dominant defensive lineman or edge player that's like a first or second round pick or or whatever so i think that alabama could potentially have that whether it be with a dallas turner whether it be with a demond Payne, maybe even a, a monkeo goodman could be that quinn williams kind of lower rated guy who grows into his frame and becomes just super dominant on the interior that's certainly possible as well so i actually think you know the, that I like the the 2021 group a little bit more because I think there's a little bit more there from a completeness standpoint. So moving on to inside linebackers, since since the the edge outside linebacker guys are are kind of included in a defensive front, uh, Dylan Moses is listed as an outside linebacker in the uh, 24-7 rankings in 2017, but we, we know that to be an inside linebacker spot, which... Uh, relative to expectations, that's for each individual to decide. But overall, you've you've gotten some some pretty good production out of Dylan Moses, especially before the injury, where the uh, where the 2021 class could possibly be a little stronger is they have a Dylan Moses type, and in 2017, Dylan Moses with a five-star number 13 prospect in the entire class. Deontay Lawson isn't quite that, but he's close. Four-star top 50 prospect in the class. But what could send the 2021 class over the top is the most memeable prospect in this class is Kendrick Blackshear with all the pictures of that dude looking like a 30-year-old bodybuilder on a (laughs) high school football field. Kendrick Blackshear, four-star prospect out of Duncanville, Texas listed at 6'2", 245 pounds. I can only assume that 
literally 243 of those pounds are muscle. The other two are his heart and his brain. I don't think he has any bones. I think he just has enough muscle in his body to hold up his his the rest of his uh, organs like a skeleton would. So that's where you can set yourself apart in the 21 class. Yeah, and and I agree with you. Um, we all know what what's it. If Dylan Moses would have lived up to the expectations returning from that knee injury, then I feel like a lot of people would be like, oh, this is, you know, even though Mark Benton ended up transferring, you got to go with, with 2017. But I still think that even when you're just talking about coming out of high school and the way that they were viewed, Deontay Lawson and the climb that he's made to being, you know, a, a top 50 prospect or a borderline top 50 guy. He's rated as a five star, if I'm not mistaken, uh, according to 247 Sports. I'll have to go back and check that just to confirm. But, you know, I, I he think is a four star. he is a what? He's a four star. According to the um, let me let me look at the very to quick. composite or to 247 alone. Yeah, 247 alone ha- does have him as a five-star, number 28 in the country. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's, I mean, there was actually some similarities, you know, from that just, you know, Dylan Moses was the, the I don't remember how much he weighed coming out of high school, but he was very similar in the way that he was viewed from being, you know, yeah, he was listed, he was almost 6'3", he was 235 pounds, uh, Deontay Lawson, guy that's in that 6'3", got the length that you look for for an off-ball linebacker in that 230-pound range. So they're kind of similar in some ways, but you have that. Kendrick Blackshire is is very intriguing to me because he kind of is rated in the same range as a guy who I think he in some ways reminds me of, and that was uh, Dante Hightower coming out of Tennessee back whenever that was the 2008 class or the 2009 or whenever it was, I think it was 2008, but point being um, that Blackshire is just kind of thick muscled up guy. You wouldn't think that in this day and age uh, with the way that offenses are that a, a guy that looks like Kendrick Blackshire could, could thrive. But what the way that he reminds me of, of uh, Dante Hightower, he has the ability to play off-ball linebacker. He's got enough athleticism. He's got some good instincts, but he also has that ability to kick out to the edge and, and be more of a, you know, a, a, an underrated pass rushing threat. Doesn't have like the kind of quick twitch explosiveness of a Rashawn Evans when he would kick out to the edge, or you know, um, you know, even a Dylan Moses when he would kick out to the edge. Like those guys. You could play them as off-ball linebackers, and they were great and could run, you know, roam, get sideline to sideline. But then when you put them as an edge player, just so much explosiveness off the edge, that's not going to be the kind of edge presence that a guy like Blackshire is going to be. He's going to be more of a, uh, you know, technician, run stopper, uh, edge setter, but, you know, much in the same way that uh, Dante Hightower was. So I like that. And then Ian Jackson, despite the fact that he's undersi- uh, uh, undersized, has the ability to play off ball, has the ability to actually kick out and get out to the quarterback a little bit too. Uh, can be an off ball blitzer, kind of the wild card. But I just feel like with that 2021 group, uh, there's a lot more depth here and there's a lot more potential for a more rounded, you know, contribution. You can get the, the Dylan Moses type of contribution potentially from Deontay Lawson, but then also the other things that you can get from the other two guys situationally or maybe eventually in, in full time roles. I think puts the 2021 group over the top. So how are we doing the, uh, the secondary? Are we doing individual positions or as a group? You know what? I just decided to make it all one. All right. Uh, lay it out for us. All right. So, and this is what is, is fairly interesting. The 2021 group, I'll go ahead and tell you right now. Um, it, I'll make it easy for you. It blows the the 2017 group out of the water you know you had xavier mckinney in that 2017 group who had you know ended up being a high second round pick to the new york giants was fantastic at alabama the versatility to play in you know multiple positions he could play down linebacker he could play as a deep safety he could play you know the star position as, as kind of a slot corner just very dynamic, versatile piece, chess piece in the back half of your defense. That's great. But then, you know, Daniel Wright has been a, a, a starter this past year, has been a contributor in the past, but, you know, has not been any, has not been anything special. Then you look at Kyrie McDonald, you know, was a kind of a three-star guy. I think one recruiting service had him as a four-star. 
but just nothing overly special there. Either ended up transferring out. Um, but you start looking at this secondary for the 2021 class, and it's incredible. You know, uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry, five-star guy, top cornerback, Terry and Arnold, which was the late addition that we haven't really had a chance to talk about for Alabama, was a huge get. I know one recruiting service has him as a five-star, uh, you know, universally kind of viewed as a, a top 100, top 50 kind of guy. Um, Kane Williams, another Devontae Smith. Both these classes had a Devontae Smith, which is interesting. Uh, Kadarius Callaway was a guy who it's been pretty cool to watch his climb because when he committed Alabama, he was kind of a three-star guy that the Alabama coaching staff loved his ability to play multiple positions. Maybe might end up at safety, might end up at corner, could end up on the offensive side of the football, but he's listed as an athlete. But as of right now, from everything I'm hearing, it's going to end up playing defensive back. So you throw him in cause he's made the climb all the way to, let's see. I want to say that he's up there in the, where did he finish at? Let's see. He's finished in the composite. He's finished as a four star uh, number 135 prospect in the class. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so just, that's just number been a, two in the state of Mississippi. That is a massive climb for him and well-deserved super athletic guy. Kind of what's interesting is kind of has that Xavier McKinney look where it's like, can we play him at a bunch of different positions? That's certainly possible, but he could be that kind of flexible piece in the back half of your defense eventually as well. But then you start throwing in Kane Williams, you start throwing in the Devonte Smith, another four star corner, you throw in Kyrie Jackson, who was, you know, the top Juco cornerback in the country, you know, four star, according to some three star, according to others, but just the length and the versatility that he provides. I think he can play a lot of spots. Um, you know, Ronald Williams was a, a Juco guy. They brought in last year. Didn't make the kind of contributions that many had hoped, including the coaching staff. I don't think that's going to be Kyrie Jackson. I think he's going to come in. Is he going to start? I'm not going to sit there and say that, but I think you have an opportunity to start. But if he doesn't, I think just with what he can provide you from a run-stopping ability, the length, you know, it's difficult throwing over the top of a guy that's 6'3", who's got plenty of athleticism and leaping ability. He's going to find his way onto the field for Alabama, at, at least in some packages, and do some good things. So really, this is one of those no-contest kind of debates, um, even with having a high second-round pick, who ended up living up to the hype in Xavier McKinney, one of my favorite safeties that's played at Alabama. It just it doesn't compare to, to the not only the depth, but the star power that's you know potentially there, there for Alabama in the 2021 group. No, I agree. It's it's pretty clear. I think what what you can say for for the 2017 recruiting class is it had one star in in the entire secondary, which was Xavier McKinney. Alabama's 2021 recruiting class could have two stars in two different sports, with both Kool Aid and Terry and Arnold toying around with playing both football and basketball. You know what? I, I yeah, that's actually a very good point. Um, so not to mention uh, Ty- Kyrie Jackson, the the JUCO corner, who is uh, one of the best JUCO prospects in in the nation too. So it's uh they they, they clearly had some work to do in the secondary, or at least they thought they did. And, and, and by God, they got that done. Yeah, I, just from top to bottom, man, so impressed with that secondary group. I do want to quickly bring up, uh, I know we're getting towards the end of this podcast, but don't know how I forgot. I just forgot to put him on my list as I was comparing him. I wanted to make side-by-sides. But Jaden Roberts, another four-star, you know, the number two, 251 overall player, number 15 uh, guard in this class, he should also be included with those offensive line. I four. Okay, you did? Okay, because yeah. I completely left him off my list, but just highly rated four-star, five-star guys that you can create an entire offensive line with, incredible. Um, and then special teams, I guess, has to go to the the 2017 group because you had Thomas yeah. Fletcher. Uh, yeah, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a special teams scholarship signee in the 2021 recruiting class, whereas the 17 class had two. Joseph Bullivis, who is now in the transfer portal, um, signed as a kicker, and then Thomas Fletcher signed as a as a long snapper. So um, just based on scholarship allotment, the, the 17 class wins out. But there are some, some promising um, preferred walk-on prospects uh, from the long snapper perspective in the 
in the 2021 class coming in. So uh, possibly Thomas Fletcher's heir apparent is, is coming in with the 2021 class, just not part of it in the traditional way that the Thomas Fletcher was since they're not uh, scholarship signees. Boom. All right, man. I think we got it covered. Hopefully that gives the people what they want. I don't, I, the original plan was to say, okay, which do you think, you know, do you think that the 2021 group will end up being better? But I just think that that is unfair because of what we, well, we know just how special that 2017 group was from winning national championships, uh, being first round picks, contributions across the board. It's it, there's, you know, award, individual awards, Heisman's, Doke Walker awards, you know, Bill O'Brien, just offensive line. It, it, there's it, I would be blown away as talented as this 2021 group is. And the ceiling for it, just because of star power and the way guys are viewed, could end up being better. But I highly doubt that that ends up happening. I think, you know, it, it could end up being one of the best classes of all time, but still falling just a, a hair short of that 2017 group, just because Alabama hit on so many guys in that group that I, I just don't know that we'll ever see another class like that. But if there's any class that could rival it, uh, it would be this one. So. Not only does you know the, the past has brought on success, but the future looks pretty bright too. As we exit, we have to let people know that Homefield Apparel, your favorite collegiate apparel brand, has added Georgetown, Temple, and Winthrop in the last few weeks. I, I think my favorite item of the ones recently added is there's a Georgetown dunking bulldog shirt. The bulldog is like skinny but also ripped and he's like skying up for for a dunk he's wearing an 84 jersey for some reason he's got the typical like bulldog scowl thing that's that's fantastic um there are several versions of a triggered temple owl that are that are fantastic and and hilarious and the uh the winthrop collection i i believe the most recently added um of the of the collection there's several uh eagle looks in here that are that are fantastic <laughs> there's one no i'm wrong this is my my favorite this this one's probably better for me than the uh than the georgetown dunking bulldog it's like the the eagle mascot like the the huge head college student in the suit mascot it's that visual arms stretched out with circle type above big stuff that is the <laughs> <laughs> i've got to see this now apparel.com it is unique super comfortable collegiately licensed apparel from over a hundred different schools i keep saying that i swear well i i hope it's true um winthrop georgetown added to the collection recently. There is Alabama stuff on there. There are 14 pieces of Alabama apparel. One of them, a very recently added Alabama basketball shirt that 14 does not include three pieces of national championship gear from the most recent football national championship. All of that is on homefieldapparel.com. You can use the promo code Bama beat to get 20% off your purchase. All right. You uh, hopping on here with me and, uh, We'll see. We'll we'll be talking soon to talk about that uh, Alabama coaching staff whenever we figure out who's going to replace Carl Scott. But it's been quite a bit of turnover. Uh, guys coming in, very uh, impressive additions. A lot of big subtractions. So a lot to dive into with that topic. So looking forward to talking about it. But once again, this has been the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Homefield Apparel. <laughs>